Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I've got such a great episode for you today. It is all about making a difference. I'm going to be talking with Chad Dime from Diff Eyewear. And um, before we get started, I do want to talk about some ways that you can make a difference. Of course, volunteering directly with organizations like reading for kids or delivering meals to shut-ins, right? Or other projects like beach cleanups or replanting natives in local parklands. There's so many organizations that need help. And right now, speaking of volunteering, fostering or adopting an animal is a great way to volunteer and provide some much needed relief. The Los Angeles Animal Services for the South Bay, which is located on Gaffey Street in San Pedro, right off of the 110 freeway, I'll put links in the show notes, is overflowing. And they are asking the public for help because they have a population crisis. They're really in need of fosters and you can sign up for as little as two days And the cool thing is that they will provide you with all of the stuff that you need to make it a successful experience, like crates and toys and beds and that sort of thing. So if you're looking to possibly adopt, this is a great way to kind of get your toes wet, right? (laughs) Bringing home a little bundle of furry joy and, and just giving them a little bit of reprieve from the shelter. Just some things to think about. Today, like I said, I'm really pleased to bring you a conversation with Chad Dime, who is the co-founder of Diff Eyewear, which is a socially conscious brand that donates a pair of glasses or funds vision healthcare services for someone in need for every pair of eyeglasses sold. It's really so inspiring to talk to Chad, and we covered a lot from the beginning of the company to the partnerships that they've built to help provide the best vision care needed for each person that they provide services to, as well as stories of the differences that Diff's mission has made in these communities and so much more. Chad is incredibly down to earth and passionate about making a difference and just inspiring to talk to. So please grab a cuppa and join Chad Dime and me in this week's In the Company of Friends Talk. Enjoy. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to talk about Diff. 
which is a charitable eyewear company, right? It's got a global mission where each pair of sunglasses sold, Diff will donate a pair or fund eye care for somebody in need. Yeah, that's right. It's been about almost, almost nine and a half years here. And ever since day one, the mission was to create a fair market value, so affordability around designer eyewear and give back. So the mission was there since day one, and it started out as reading glasses. We were donating reading glasses for every pair that we sold. Um, And that was a task when we were starting out because I always had to find, we wanted to be very genuine with this. So I had to find, if we sold 10 pairs or 10,000 pairs that year, I had to find a home, a genuine home for 10,000 pairs of reading glasses. And in the beginning, I worked with a partner called um, Eyes on Africa. Her name was Sherry Grigsby and she was amazing. And she allowed me to facilitate that. We were connecting with partners that she had in other countries and we were donating reading glasses through her. That evolved into a larger partnership with a group called Sightsavers because they had a network of 1,400 different partners around the world that they could connect us with to donate reading glasses on behalf of every pair that we sold. So as we started selling more each year, we needed a partnership like that. And in 2019, we shifted that again to a new partner called Sightsavers. And they do a lot more than just reading glasses. So they're doing surgeries, medicines, different types of treatments. They also work with disabilities, um, people with disabilities in different communities to try to make sure that they have access to jobs and, and work as well. So wow. they're really a partner that allows us to stay true to our promise that was there since day one and do more than just this reading glass, which to me was important. Yeah, I've been on a search for reading glasses sometimes when I leave them somewhere. And, and it, it really is a big difference. I wear contacts. And so the difference between having them in is remarkable. And I can just imagine right. the communities that you and your partners are going to for these programs are just being affected so positively. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually the partner. I have two partners and they're amazing. We've all done so much together. And I just so happen to be the one that maybe is most passionate about the, we're all really passionate about everything we do, but I'm the one that goes into these countries. Um, And I did it a lot actually prior to the pandemic. I was going to anywhere from one to three giving trips a year. And I was seeing that impact firsthand. You know, I would go into places, whether it was Guatemala or Dominican Republic, or I've been to different countries within Africa and you go in and you do these distributions and the, the reading glasses is definitely, you know, some of these folks, like they haven't seen right for so long, maybe their whole life. And they do find a pair that works for them and they can see better and you can see the smile on their face. It's instantaneous. They get so happy that they can see and whether it's their smiling face, their son, their daughter, you know, reading a book, reading the Bible, whatever it is that's important to them, like eyes and vision is such a powerful thing. And if you don't have that, um, like you said, you know a little bit about that, having to wear contacts and stuff. But I have seen that impact and that reaction firsthand. And it's really, um, you know, you can see it on their face. It's it's real. They're like, oh my gosh, I can see again. And it's just so special. And now that we're doing even more than that, you know, what Sightsavers is doing is there's a lot of disease out there that is completely treatable and it causes blindness. Um, mm-hmm. They call them neglected tropical diseases. Um, and sometimes all it takes is a one, 
you know, prescription, whether it's a pill that they can take or a cream or an ointment, and it can help reverse the effects of these disease and stop people from going blind. So that was part of why I wanted to change this to this new group, because reading glasses are important, but reading glasses don't help everybody. Right. You know, sometimes what you have, or what I have can't be fixed with a reading glass. You need a stronger prescription or you need something else. And that was what I was so excited about Sightsavers, because they try to tackle more than just donating a reading glass, which is super special. Yeah, that's amazing. Just improving the quality of so many people's lives and 10,000 glasses at a time is really incredible. At what point did you decide to do a give back model um, on your business? And like, when did you decide to be a socially conscious company? Yeah. And just one thing to mention on the amounts that we're donating each year, it's gone from 10,000 frames and donations upwards of hundreds of thousands of donations a year. So I'm proud to say that that number has grown. And to answer your question, it was way before I started DIFF that I decided to get into something or that this brand would be socially conscious. Um, the story I like to tell with that one is really cool. I, I was a student at San Diego State. Yeah. And when I was at San Diego State, we were on a surf team there. And I, after a few years, I ended up getting to be able to run the surf team. So I was the president of the surf team. And we had some sponsorships from different brands that were wanting us to be at the time ambassadors. You know, I'm sure you've heard the term influencers now, but right. ambassadors was what they called them then. And, and we were just campus ambassadors and they would give us free stuff. And Tom's the shoe company was one of our sponsors. And we always got these shoes that, you know, I, the shoes were great. Um, I wasn't really a fan so much of the styles of the shoes, to be honest with you. It was mm -hmm. more their mission. I thought that they had this really cool thing going with their buy a pair, give a pair and I was like, that's the future of capitalism, if you will, you know, or whatever. These brands can grow and become behemoths and do good while being profitable or whatever. And so that started in college. I was aware of that happening. I was like, okay, there's a way to do this. I like that. And then I started and I worked in multiple different businesses, worked for a surf brand called Volcom. I worked for my dad. Um, I started brands with the partners I have now, different companies, and none of them were it until we launched Diff, which was kind of, I think, the brainchild of all three of us just trying all these different things and knowing, okay, Price point is important. People care about price. Quality is important. People care about that. But the giving back, it has to be the third pillar, if you will, of this brand that we were creating. And so just, yeah, it was it was before we ever started the brand um, because it was ingrained in us. And, and I had my experience with Tom's and my other partners had their experience out in the world and they knew they wanted to be socially conscious as well. So I'm proud to say it was before we ever even started the business. That's so important to be able to give back to other communities. Um, I, I think that we're all obligated to have some sort of, you know, responsibility to one another. And I'm really inspired by what Diff is doing. Thank you. You said that you've got three uh, or some other partners that you work with. I think there's three co-founders. How did that collaboration begin? And, and when did you, when was the company born, so to speak? Sure. Yeah. So I have two founding partners. So I make up the third partner um, in terms of people, you know, we founded the company in 2014. 
Um, again, a cool story. It's great that you ask. We we have a crazy way that we were brought together. I was working for my dad. My dad was an importer, so my dad imported and sold sunglasses. And so I will say I had a big leg up, you know, having my family teach me so much about the industry and manufacturing and all the things that are this part of the business is so hard to learn unless you have a mentor like I had with my father. So right. um, really lucky there. And I worked with him. And during the time I was there after college, I worked with him my whole life, going to trade shows and doing things with him. But when I went to work with him after college, I was not sure I was in the right spot. I kind of knew I wanted to be involved in the family business, but I was like, I just felt like there was more that I needed to try and do before I sunk my teeth into what my dad did. And I met my first business partner, Zach. His name is Zach. I met him trying to solicit, meaning I was trying to sell him sunglasses out of my dad's warehouse. I was working for my dad (laughs) selling glasses. I was trying to sell them to this gentleman who was in New York at the time. I'm in California. And he flipped it on me. We had a little banter going over email. And he said, look, he was selling sunglasses at music festivals. I was selling sunglasses at my dad's warehouse. He goes, I need someone who knows how to import sunglasses and do what you do. Maybe you have interest in what I'm doing. And I said, well, I definitely do, right? I want to get out of kind of doing what I've been doing here with my dad. And I still want to do eyewear. I think what you're doing looks really fun. He was going to music festivals and setting up a booth and selling eyewear out of the music festival world and doing really well. He was making money. And mm-hmm. so we had one conversation over a Skype phone call because Zoom and whatever we're on right now and everything else didn't even exist yet. Yeah. And we had this conversation. And next thing you know, I said, okay, if you're serious, fly out to California. If you really want to build a partnership here, fly out to California and let's see how serious you are. And he flew out like a week later and we shook hands and never looked back. So wow. um, my dad... Yeah, it was crazy. He's my dad supported me fully and said, Yeah, you know, you're gonna try new things, go go and do it. You know, if you want to come back and work for the family business, it'll be here. And we basically rented a small office space with a little bit of warehouse in Gardena. Mm-hmm. And we started doing more of what Zach was doing, taking glasses to festivals, but we also started other companies. Like we were doing branding on eyewear for people that wanted to put their logo on sunglasses. We did that for a while. And then we met our third business partner in the music festival world. He was doing the same thing. So he was essentially a competitor of ours. We joined forces and that was, that was how we came together. And about a year or so after we met and had that going, we then started dip. So that would have been November, 2014. I think we made our first sale. And then 2015 was the first year that we really took the business out and started marketing it and making, making real sales. That's so inspiring. Um, There are some challenges that are related to charity work too with, like you said earlier, that everybody doesn't need just the glasses. What are some of those challenges and also how they helped you create initiatives and partnerships and programs that provide these necessary services for other communities? Wow. Yeah, the list of challenges is long. Um, Where do I... Where do I start? I'll start with the example <laughs> that you gave because it, it, it's it like there's examples like I can give you where you, you're darned if I'll use no swear words here, but you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't, right? If you're charitable and, you <laughs> and you're try, welcome you not, to swear if you want. <laughs> okay. But you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. One thing I've noticed starting this business, I will always tell to people that are asking me like, what are the challenges? Well, if you don't pick a lane and say that you're going to make a difference in the world, no pun intended this way. Well, people are going to look at you and say, well, you should do better. 
you could do more, whatever, you know, they're going to poke holes in what you've created. And then similarly, if you start something and you do all this good in the world, I won't even use Diffin as an example for this one. I'll use Tom's again, Mm -hmm. something that inspired me. They have had so much backlash about their buy a pair, give a pair program. Oh, you're taking this and giving it to communities that you're disrupting the person that's making the shoes there by giving them away there and blah, 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 you know, millions of different arguments. Same thing with eyewear. I saw that. Um, So again, my first challenge is that no matter how good you try to be, even if you're genuine, there's going to be somebody out there saying that you could do it different. You should do it better. You are doing something wrong. And really all you're trying to do is something good and you're doing it from a place of passion and you're coming from good in your heart, but someone's always going to have something to say. Um, So that's a really big challenge and and navigating that and not paying attention to what's being said on Instagram or wherever. And then the other challenge is when you pick something like Tom's with shoes, Diff with reading glasses, you know, there's other brands out there doing this. Well, I can speak to the reading glass piece. I used to go into these countries and I would meet people and I'll, I'll give you a tangible example of how it gets difficult. Okay. You reading glasses are for people typically 40 and above. That's when they say your eyes really start to degenerate and you get this degenerative vision and you need a reading glass 30 to 40 years old, but usually by the time you're 40. So when I used to see kids at the distribution in these countries and these villages, I would think to myself, okay, if they have bad vision, they need a prescription. They need to see an ophthalmologist or an optician. Not me, somebody who's sitting there with nurses that are giving away reading glasses and doing vision tests, you know, and, and they, they would be there and they'd say, well, you know, I'm talking about a 17 year old young woman and she's saying, hey, I, I mm-hmm. need these glasses. I would see better. And I'm saying, chances are you won't. I'm saying this to myself, but I don't want to discourage you. You've come, gosh knows, God knows how many miles walked to get here. And I'm going to tell you, you can't have it. That was never in my you know, it was never part of what I did there. I always tried to make sure I did the vision test and give them the gift that I'm there to give them the gift site. And then lo and behold, though, someone says, yeah, these are great. They work. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't think they're working because reading glasses really, they're magnifiers. That's what they're doing. They're magnifying. And sometimes young children, they've got stigmatisms and other things that are causing vision loss. And so I'm just saying that you run into this challenge where you're in a country giving things away And sometimes you're giving them to people that don't really need it because they look at it as, oh, this is a gift. Free is good, you know? And and so that's a challenge too, right? Is putting it in the right hands genuinely. There's always going to be things that can slip through the cracks, but that was a challenge for me. And when I was going to give these reading glasses away year after year, I was like, there's a better way to do this. So that was the solution to that with Sightsavers because they're saying, yes, we know that. When we go into country, we go in there and we do refractive error testing, which is more along the lines of what I was saying with an optician. So they can do a prescription. They can also do the reading glass. They can also see the people that need an ointment for you know river blindness or whatever it is that they're dealing with in that country. So that was a challenge that we overcame by looking for solutions. Okay, you know, giving a reading glass away is imperfect. I want to get the right gift of sight into the right hands. So that was a big challenge for many years. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see where if you've got somebody who's saying, I can't see and this 
is going to fix it, but it's the wrong thing. You're also discouraging them from seeking the right kind of care. So that's an amazing solution where you've got somebody that is medically trained to say, yes, this helps, but it's not going to help you. Let's find out what will, and we'll give you that gift instead. Exactly. And, and, and I've, and again, I have been on a call mm, more than a year ago now with another group. They're, they're a group out of another country. They sell eyewear. And the guy I was talking to is a CEO, is a founder. He was saying all this stuff about our current partner. You know, they don't do things right. They're imperfect. And it's just, I'm telling you, it's, it's a challenge no matter what you do, because I, I, I said it in the beginning, you're almost damned if you do and damned if you don't. But I've always said okay. that the one way to operate safely is out of a place of genuinity. So you genuinely do something that you think is right and you vetted it and you never look over your shoulder. Meaning if it's, if it's a check that you're supposed to write every quarter, or if it's a donation you're supposed to make down to the unit that you sell, meaning for us, we say for every pair sold and you've done that, then to me, that was okay. That anyone saying that, like whether you're Tom's or Diff or, Warby Parker, another eyewear brand, or anyone out there, if it's genuine, then good for you. And if you've done your promise and you've paid your money to the group that you promised you'd give your donations to, or you've made your donations and you've put that product in the people's hands, the communities you promised you would go to, then that's good enough for me. Because again, you're just going to learn, you know, you're going to go through it and you're going to say, oh, that was, we did it, but we know we can do it better. And so you go and you adapt. And so if you're doing that, I don't care what anybody else says. I think that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know if you can hear all of that hammering going on next door. As soon as we started talking. No, no, I can't hear anything. It's easy. As soon as we started the interview, they started hammering next door. They're they're doing some construction there. But uh, I'm glad you can't hear (laughs) it. (laughs) What I wanted to add to that is that there's that myth of perfection, right? Where everything has to be perfect and you can end up in this place of inertia because perfection doesn't really exist. It's, it's all just constantly a work of art in progress. And I kind of have this analogy when I use my navigation system, I usually use Waze and sometimes Waze will redirect me and it'll say this way is faster, but I've got to do this circuitous route that's kind of making dangerous left turns and everything. And it was all to save 30 seconds. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, um, so sometimes, yeah, you could do things differently. You could have done this thing better. But when you look at the overall picture, you're making a difference. And that's all anybody can ask for. That's all anybody can ask for, especially this day and age, right? It's like, we're so caught up in doing things quickly. And like you said, striving for perfection and more and more, more. But I think that there are people and brands and groups out there that deserve a lot of credit because they're doing exactly what you said. They're just sticking to their promise or their guideline or their outline of ways that they, you know, they said they're going to do something and they're doing it and they're looking back and saying, Hey, okay, this is a way we can adapt or change to make it better. And you do that and you do it again and again and again. And, you know, if that's what you're doing, um, I think people need to give those people, groups, brands, whoever, some credit, because no matter what, you know, there's always going to be ways that you have to just kind of look back and say, can I do it better? But I'm really happy. We haven't really had to change much about what we've been doing with Sightsavers over the last couple years, because they truly are just an incredible partner. And I'm talking to them now that the pandemic 
disrupted a lot of the travel that we were doing into these countries. Yeah. And now it looks like 2024 is going to be a great year for us to start that up again. And me hopefully go and be part of another distribution in 2024. It's, it's been a few years. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And so far, you have donated over 2.7 million uh, pairs of glasses or services towards eye care. And I think that speaks volumes to the fact that you are doing it right. And, you know, the naysayers are micro focusing on one aspect of what you're doing. But again, you know, the overall picture is look at all of these lives that have been changed by what you're doing. And it's kind of... um it's also a really competitive market eyewear. I mean, it's it's kind of a hybrid niche. You know, part of it is medical and part of it is fashion. And then now That's you're right. adding the charity part to it. And it's <laughs> it's it's a lot to do. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. It, it's a competitive space. And then, yeah, you toe the line between a medical device if you're selling optical and fashion and all that and, and the charity. Um, and then actually, yeah, that number, the 2.7, it's it's actually over 3.1 now million oh, people wow. that have been positively affected by our program. And and yeah, it's going to continue to grow. The more that number will increase. And every day we show up, we do what we said we were going to do. And then we look and try to see how we can do it better. And so far, it's been doing really well. And and I, I got to say, also, if I mentioned naysayers or anything like that, I don't see that much of it. I think people are very supportive of DIF and I think it gets drowned out by a lot of positivity and the way people feel about what we do. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to seg over for a minute into the product itself. Like, I mean, there's a lot that goes into making the, the glasses with sourcing right. materials, polarized lenses, the craftsmanship, construction. I know that the frames are handmade and there's artistic right. touches such as hand cut accents and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I know quite a bit about it just because again, the background I had before diff was a lot rooted in the manufacturing because that's what my dad figured out really early on. So I've been going to China with my dad since I was about 15. By the way, um, mm -hmm. I would wager that it's probably somewhere between 80 and 90% of all eyewear is manufactured in China. When you see things that are made in Italy or made in Japan, some brands really do, but a lot of big brands and you know a lot of eyewear actually, they say over 80% of the market is owned by one monolith, this company called Luxottica, which actually merged with Essilor. Mm -hmm. So anyways, where I'm going with this is we manufacture in China. And I'd say nearly everybody else does as well. And the product that we deal with is the same product and materials that you see that get sold for 200 to $300 plus, sometimes goes upwards of five, six, seven, eight. I've seen glasses for over $1,000. Mm -hmm. And our frames are made with acetate or stainless steel. So that's some of the highest grade materials you can get in terms of durability, feel, just luxury um, titanium is another good one for metal, but the handmade hand finished comes from once the frame is kind of cut because it all gets cut by a machine from there. It's all hand polished and hand finished, which is different than a lot of other sunglasses that are just plastic injection molded. So yeah, what we do is we provide that same material and again, lenses or lens technology is same lens technology you get with those very expensive brands. And we sell it for an $85 to $120 price point. So I do believe that is a fair market value for that quality of eyewear. Um, when you start talking about the glasses that are five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars 
those things you're, you're really looking at 24 karat gold plated. Sometimes they've got different embellishments and things, a lot of metal and, and details and things like that, where it really does garner a higher price point. But for most brands that you see, let's call it in Nordstrom, they're really using either acetate or injection for the frame. Uh, stainless steel is also, and then a CR39 polymer lens is really optically clear. So anyways, I it, it starts getting a little technical. I want to be careful. I don't want to go down our a rant of like <laughs> things that your listeners don't really care about, but it's all interesting. All I can say is okay, yeah, because the materials that we use with diff is premium, and we just sell it at a fair price point, mm-hmm. which is getting harder and harder to find. You know, like you said, some of these glasses go for five hundred, a thousand dollars. So that's amazing. And how many styles do you have? Like, what's the variety? Oh my gosh. um i i should know more exact i know we've got well over a thousand skews so each style can have anywhere from four different colorways combinations to some of our best sellers that have just come back again and again they've got 10 to 15 different iterations of colors but when you look at the style count it's oh gosh maybe 100 to 200 styles. I'll, I'll, I should get back to you on that. <laughs> it, it, what happens is the design team- I didn't mean to throw you a curveball, sorry. I love it. No, it's okay. <laughs> it, don't worry. I, I'm just laughing because we've got other brands that we've incubated under the, and we're not here to talk about that, but we can if you want, but um, we've got other brands that we've incubated under the Diff umbrella, and I've actually been spearheading and, and developing one of them and so a lot of what's been happening with the production at Diff, I keep seeing styles that are popping up and going, it looks great. I don't even know what it is because I'm so <laughs> ingrained in the new project. And I'm just really proud of my team because the design team that we have, they kill it. Like they make some beautiful stuff and they're constantly turning out new products. So that question is probably a better question for them to answer because again, you know, I've got an amazing team that does so much, but yeah, you know, a couple hundred styles, safe to say for sure. And about a thousand plus skews. Wow. There. And I love that constant creativity that you've got going on. You know, that's really cool because, which is a great word to use because that's what everybody's looking for is like the coolest, newest, hottest thing to wear in fashion. Yeah. Um, and I know every one of your glasses has a name too, doesn't it? Like uh, somebody's name, how are they named? Yeah, so it is a revolving door of, of things getting released to keep people, you know, to, to press on that nerve or keep up with the pulse of what's going on in fashion. And it really is fast fashion, right? Everybody's turning things over every season again right. and again and again. So you got to keep up with that. And the names, it's really cool. Um, in the beginning, it was dogs. So we, the story goes, <laughs> there's always a story. Yeah. Um, we had created the first three styles. So you asked me what, how many styles we had five, six years ago when it was just us. I'll tell you exactly what they were and what they were named and how we made them blah, blah, blah. Now it's a different beast. That's great. Um, in the beginning, it was three styles. So it was like this round frame. There was a nice like unisex kind of more kind of classic style and then a Wayfarer style, which is Ray-Ban-esque, if you will, just a very mm-hmm. classic style, again, unisex. And we had no idea what to name them. And so we had these dogs that hung out in the office with us every day. My Husky, who came to work with me every day, and my business partner's dog, who came to work with them every day. And her name was Riley, and my dog's name was Coda. We're like, okay, Riley and Coda. So that would be the first two frames. And then the round one became Dime, which is my last name. And it was shaped like a dime. 
And so we kept that trend going. Every time we released a new frame, we'd go, okay, well, who's the next furry friend that everybody loves in our family or a friend group? And we'd name them after those people. And then we started asking on Instagram. We have a pretty good following on Instagram. So we'd say, okay, we're naming, you know, 12 new styles for spring. Give us your best pet names and your cats and your dogs. And we started getting names from them. And then it gets to a point where we are producing so much that we basically had to have like a matrix of creative names that came from team members, children and loved ones to (laughs) dogs, to just names that people thought were suitable for the frame. So what started out as a really cool, genuine moment in a startup, you know, oh, what do we do? Well, name them after your dog. And then that was a thing for a while. It just become keeping up. You got to keep up and keep up. So it it's really cool because there are, there are best-selling frames like the Cruise frame, which is named after my Husky and it's still in circulation. My wife has a frame named after her, which is just so happens to be our, one of our best-selling. So it stays around. My mom has a frame named after her. Chad, my business partner, his name is Chad as well. His grandmother, Rose, has an original frame named after her. That is so cool. What a great tribute for the people that you love. We were just in Dillard's on Sunday. I took my mom to shop. You know, I always go in there to see what's going on. And the frame that we named after her, which went out, it actually discontinued and then came back again because Nordstrom likes it so much. So it got reintroduced back into the line and now it's doing really well again. So at Dillard's, it was being featured in this like pedestal, this cute little, like, you know, it was a focal point when you walk into the department, it was like, like a display yeah, a pedestal case. display face, but like front and center. Yeah. And it was the frame that was named after my mom. So I, this was like two days ago. And I said, mom, look, it's the uh, Goldie. And she, her name's Gail, but everyone calls her Goldie Gail. And so the woman working, she comes up, how can I help you? And I told her the story and we got a photo with her and it was just a really cool moment. So uh, yeah, stuff like that happens. I'm like pinching myself like, oh, it's super cool, you know? That is really cool. And then, you know, you mentioned kids. I can just imagine a kid seeing glasses named after them on everybody's faces. You know, that would be really cool. Do you happen to have a children's eyewear line as well? Yeah, we did. Um, Trying to think when we launched and we we were doing a lot of mommy and me stuff for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a great program. (laughs) It is. And the issue we ran into with kids is that we make high-end stuff and i think what we find is that moms uh, my wife is a new mom um no congratulations you know trying to sell thank you thank you um we're both new parents but like i'm just saying like i think the way that the mistake we made so we don't have kids anymore we had it i loved them i thought the styles were like so good they basically were shrunk down versions of our best sellers and they we paired them with their mom version so the the regular size the original frame paired with a smaller size for the child oh my gosh so cute (laughs) it was really cute but i can't remember if the price was 38 to 40 to 50 bucks something whatever it was i think it was too expensive because i think no matter how good the glasses are i don't know if you've ever thrown glasses on a two three four five year old but they pretty much end up on the floor immediately and lost um kids just rip them off you get lost getting losses for sure but like i just see them they, the mom will put them on the kid and the kid will just rip them off and throw them on the ground because it's like i don't know unless they like them so yeah. it didn't work but i'm a firm believer that it can be reinvented and we probably should bring it back and i i have hoarded i don't know 100 plus of these little kid styles that i thought would be good to <laughs> give away to friends and people that you know have little kids including my son who 
we'll fit into these in a year or two. So I've got my special stash of diff kids lines, but yeah, we need to re rethink that avenue again because the first way we launched it just was not right. The price point, I think. Yeah, and maybe even you know do sunglasses and st- I don't know if those were yeah, sunglasses same. or not, but I've seen a lot of kids, really young ones, that you know they're seeing their parents wear them. The parents are explaining this is to protect your eyes, and when we're out, that's when you wear them, and they get used to them. And so I've been noticing more and more little kids just wearing right. sunglasses and wearing their, their hats. And um, and I think it's a little bit of training. So maybe it was also the time period when you put those out. It was too new. It was, you know, it wasn't the right time to launch it. And maybe now would be better. No, I totally agree with you. It I see it too. But I think there's an age where all of a sudden it becomes, you know, I can't remember what age I was, but I remember being in elementary school and seeing kids wearing caps and sunglasses even I didn't even though my dad sold them but I think the age range that we targeted these younger children I think probably under five maybe you know wasn't perfect yet and I know now that I because I get it's funny because I'm 35 and I get a lot of people now my age all these people I grew up with all having kids and they're all saying hey where's your kids line I'm like we had it it's not there anymore so (laughs) you're right it's just a matter of us doing it right and creating the right frames and the price and stuff. And like the pair my wife bought for my son is off Amazon and it's a polarized glass. So if they are on the sun, you know, that such a young kid can wear them and they have a strap. Mm-hmm. We used to call them a croaky. Um, you know, you've seen the chains okay. that go around your ear and they kind of, you know, they hook on so you don't lose them in the water or something. And the pair that we have for our son, it, it's like that. It holds them on their neck so they can't just rip them off and throw them. I was like, that's a good idea. That is a good idea. Get the croaky strap on there so they can't just rip them off. Or if they do, it just hangs on their neck. Yeah. And well, speaking of that strap and the chains and that sort of thing, Uh I know you have an inspiring story about eyeglass pouches that were being made for diff. And there's just an entire East African community that's been empowered by that program. And you've also got a similar program in Honduras. So can you tell me about that? Yeah. And how that started, how that's going. And also just a suggestion um, of starting a croaky program. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> we, we, we just launched a Star Wars collaboration. We've done a few of these now. They've been really successful. We just launched one and it had a Jabba the Hutt is a character and and they designed this really cool style that had a chain that came with it. So you didn't have to purchase it as an accessory. It came with the frame when you bought it. And I love it. And I think there's a lot of room for that. And I actually was just in a meeting with the production team not too long ago and they were talking about introducing chains and stuff. So a little more of that. But it's different than the croaky strap, which is uh, like a wetsuit material or something. I don't know. I like them. Yeah, it's like neoprene, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I like those. Me personally, it's my style more so than like a chain. But maybe more of that to come soon. <laughs> so stay tuned. And with the pouch program, it's really, I got to go back in time a little bit. So I was doing the reading glass donations. And I used to, on top of the partnership that I had with Eyes on Africa, with Sherry Grigsby, the original partner. And I call them partners because they really are. They're individual groups that we work with that are a partner in the charitable mission. So Sherry is our first partner. But 
I mentioned to you that she only had a certain amount of people in her network that could take the donation. So I was always on my own networking, whether it was through Instagram and Facebook or whatever. I would find people that could potentially be recipients of the donations that we were doing with reading glasses. And one person came across, they were introduced to me by my business partner, Zach, his friend met this woman named Kelsey And she was spending time as a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa. Um, Specifically, she was in Uganda. And Mm -hmm. it was really cool. I asked her, hey, you're friends with this person. So I was introduced to you. It's good to meet you. Would you care to be a part of our donation? I can send you 100 pairs. I can send you 1,000 pairs. And all you have to do is make sure that they get into the hands of people that truly need them. And she came back and said, no, I can't. But I wish I could. I was like, what does that mean? She said, well, my job here is not to give gifts away. My job here is to try to figure out how to empower folks to learn a trade and work and do things and be responsible for themselves so that when I leave, there's more of that continuing to, to teach a man to fish rather than give a man a fish or whatever, that owl that. And so I was like, wow, right, this is right. so taken back because I've, it, I was like, makes sense. You're speaking the truth uh-huh. but i had never had anybody say no because everyone's like oh free reading glasses my i know her community would have loved that and i've been there it's called arua um i've been there twice but let me get to the pouch part mm-hmm. so i flipped it i said okay i can't do it i said tell me more about this idea of empowerment and what ideas have you had that you could potentially do with me if we want to do this and you know, there was a thing, crochet kids, I think they were making hats and beanies and stuff. And then she was, I've always thought we could do something like that. And then pouches were a thing that someone in her community had brought up to her in the past. I guess someone was making them or something like that. And I was like, yeah, okay. And Sherry Grigsby, Eyes on Africa Sherry, had actually brought this up to me also and said, you know, there are groups of people in Africa where she was going. She went to other countries outside of Uganda that were trying to do the same thing. I was like, okay, these, these reading glass pouches or these sunglass pouches could work. So I started working with Kelsey. I said, here's the deal. Go source the fabrics. So she went and sourced the fabric from the local market. Find the people in your community that would tailor these things and make them and send me some samples. And I'm telling you, I don't know if it was a week or a month, but I had samples shown up at my door. Wow. And I was like, wow, she's legit. Her community is a great community. Her family that she was living with, her host family, was the founder of the school that they started there to basically... They didn't want any corporal punishment. Apparently this guy had kids going to, his kids were going to school where they were getting hit. And he said, I'm not going to stand for that. I'm going to start a school where that will not happen. And that's the host family that she was living with. So the idea that we had was the pouches look great. Get the tailors that you have there to make them. We'll sell them on the website and we will send back the proceeds to you. All profits went back to them and it would be reinvested into their school program. So all the different improvements need to be made at that school. Not all, but a lot of them for a few years were being funded by the pouch program. And I'm talking about, you know, utilities, electric locking doors, um, revamping classrooms, painting walls and securing the playground with a fence so that the kids were safe. All these things happened through this pouch program. And it was really cool because I got to go to Uganda and visit Arua twice. I met all the tailors. I met the guy, Kennedy, who started the school. Kelsey, eventually, you know, the program was still going. 
She ended her term with the Peace Corps and then came and worked at DIFF for almost two years, which was really, really just a special way to kind of close the loop there. And we still have stock of the pouches. I still sell them. Kelsey has since moved on, but our relationship with Kennedy and the community is still intact, which is really cool. And so we've got all these pouches we're selling right now. And then once we sell through them, we'll go back and get another order. But what I know has happened is that those improvements to the school have been made over the last couple of years, and they're great. And also those tailors and those people there have learned a trade, and that was Kelsey's goal, that carried forward into their daily life. So now they learn to sew, they learn to make these pouches. Kennedy knows that this program is not proprietary to us. They can sell it to whoever else they want. And I've heard from them that it was such an impactful thing. And again, I I was there in 2020 or 2019. And then we haven't gotten to go back since because it's just been kind of hectic into places like that. But I'm truly proud of that. That's so inspiring. It's crazy. It just, when I think about it, back and forth on Instagram emails to get this whole thing to go, it was just a lot. And it was amazing to be able to say we did it. Yeah. And I'm sure that it was just a huge impact for you to be able to go there and see what the program was capable of doing, because that's really powerful that um, you can get a school upgraded to that level. And like you said, you know, teach people how to fish instead of just handing them the Mm -hmm. fish. That's really neat. Mm -hmm. I give Kelsey a lot of credit for that because I wasn't thinking that way before I met her. And I definitely think more that way now. And um, it it, it really was like a serious undertaking. And the impact that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, I can say honestly that the single most impactful moment I've had at DIFF when doing the charity stuff was in that village, in that that community, seeing those tailors. I, I have no way to explain what that feels like. Yeah, I can imagine. That would be great if you could go back and maybe even collaborate something else. The, the croaky straps. Yep. I, I made a promise to them that I will go back and I will. And, you know, I send Christmas gifts every year, boxes, you know, for the school and stuff. We always do that. And oh, so like cool. I said, we still sell the pouches and all of that. So yeah, we will go back. I will go back. I want to take my son there. I still oh, talk that would be neat. all the time. It's amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Has the focus of your social impact mission changed or shifted since DIFF was started with all of these other programs that you're doing? It really has, for sure. Um, mostly just because I think we used to we used to try to do so much. We used to try to get in touch with people. What we used to do, and we don't do anymore, is as things became relevant, and, and again, this, this may not be the right way to do things, but it's just how we thought when we were younger. It's like, oh, there was a crazy natural disaster. Um, I forget the hurricane's name, but it struck really hard down in Texas. And this was back in like 2017. Um, Oh, yeah. Texas and Louisiana. I think it was Hurricane Harvey is what it was. Texas, Louisiana. And we jumped on board. We found groups that were going out there to do the natural disaster kind of clean up. And we were donating money to them. And we did a deal with Kourtney Kardashian. She was like, okay, I like what you do with your eyeglass distributions. But I want to do something with anti-bullying. So we would go and pick a group and go do anti-bullying. We did something with a group called Be Strong. Sorority groups that had good philanthropies would reach out and say, oh, I love DIFF and we want to do something with you guys. And so my point is that I used to go, the pouch program, you name it. There's so many examples of this where I was out there just doing all these different things because I thought they were going to resonate 
with myself and my soul and my heart and my partner's souls, but also the consumer. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I think the consumer will see value in this and see that we're not just focusing on this eye care health and we're doing more. And then I realized that when you build a brand, it's important that your consumer, that your customer understands what your mission is so that they know that, okay, I made this purchase thinking it's going to go to this and it did, you know, and if I'm willy nilly just changing our direction every couple months based on what I think is cool or important or rings true at the time, I've learned that I think it's better to say, Hey, this is who we are. This is our mission. And that's what we do. Right. So we have since I'm not saying we say no to things because I've had a lot of people come to us and say, Hey, you know, I want to partner with you. And I, I entertain everything for the most part, but I'm much better now at saying, you know, it doesn't align with our mission. I wish you well, can I donate glasses to your cause and have you raffle them and raise money that way? Because our funds are earmarked to site savers. And I think what that's mm -hmm. done is it's certainly made my life easier because I'm not constantly chasing and trying to find where we're going to go give money next or something or donate or donate our time. But it also has solidified for our true, the people that have supported us so much that this is our mission. This is what we do. And if you're on board with that, we love you. And so that's the biggest change I think that we've seen over the last couple of years that I think is important. Yeah, narrowing the goal so everybody can see what what it is clearly. Yeah, I can see that where you could get really scattered because there's so many great causes. There's so much need out there that you just you really want to help everybody. That's right. Um, but like you said earlier, you do have to pick a lane and and be true to that. And you know that helps you also understand what you're doing a whole lot better, so that you're much more effective at it. Right. That's right. And what you said is really true. There's so much out there. When you get into the world of philanthropy or you talk to, you see how many groups there are for, you know, learning disabilities and cancers or animals and you name, there's so much. And then right. next thing you know, you find if you're an empathetic person or someone that loves doing this type of stuff, next thing you know, you're like trying to do it all. And it's like, you're stretching yourself too thin. And so it kind of goes back to, if you want to do something, do it well. Mm -hmm. And that takes focus. And so there's, there's a little bit of that too. But we've had grassroots moments recently where we've done little things, one-off things here and there. And, and I'm proud of those moments too, because they kind of happen in the background and we don't even talk about them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They're just purely passion. Um, we're donating right now 500 pairs to that group, Be Strong, because they've got ambassadors around the country. And, you know, we, we pay for that product. It's a pretty significant dollar amount to donate, but it's like, yeah, it's going to a great cause. And I, I love this group. And so it's like, we, we do that. And we don't even talk about it. I mean, we'll make a social post or something, but um, that's why I think I'm proud of the fact that we still do things like that. Because again, it's, it's really out of passion and wanting to stay true to the mission and it's the right thing to do. Right. And and you've got to balance it. You know, it's nice to have a little bit of room for those freedoms to be able to help other causes that are important to you. Definitely. So that's really cool. Definitely. Um, what do you see the future of Diff as a brand and company and its ability to continue to really successfully affect positive social change? Well, the future is bright. I mean, we are now a remote company. So after 2020, we've gone 
most, if not all team members are remote. So we're attracting talent all over the country now, which opposed to the way we used to run, you know, you had to find everybody right in LA and the way to grow and and keep affecting social change is just in growing our reach with Diff and growing our customer base with Diff. But also what we're doing with incubating new brands, we've got a new brand, it's called Dime Optics. Mm -hmm. And it's not publicly, like I don't go out there and it's not on our website and stuff, but I'm not shy to tell you that it's, you know, it's a sister brand, but it has a charitable component. We work with the same partner there. So as we grow and incubate these new ideas and new brands, they're all going to share that same ethos with Diff. And I don't know if all of the things that we kind of incubate under the umbrella of Diff will do the exact same thing. But if it's an eyewear Mm -hmm. company, which we are an eyewear, you know, we're trying to build a portfolio of eyewear brands. We don't have that same ethos and want to make sure that it's giving back. So I think that's the future and, and way to grow is, you know, whether we acquire brands or we grow them internally organically ourselves, or buy licenses to things and really grow the reach and start to implement this giving back into anything that we build um, which is what's already happening as we speak yeah if you don't mind sharing a little bit about dime optics what is the difference and what's what's the mission there biggest differentiator is price point so diff sits at 85 to 120 and I think the styles with Diff too, we've really grown with our customer. They're very trendy, but I'd say a lot of classics and things that people can wear every day. They're really wearable. And Dime is a $30 price point, 30 to 35 and very trendy. Like I'm talking like some of our stuff that we create with Dime is pretty edgy and kind of stuff that you see on the runway and in fashion. It's also for a younger customer where Diff, I think of, my wife is a Target demo, you know, 35-year-old professional mm-hmm. mom, up to 45, even plus or minus 10 years in terms of who our demographic is. With Dime, it's really 18 to 25 female. Oh, cool. So that's that's the differentiator. It's the styles are very different. The price point's very different. The customer is younger. And we're positioning it in different retailers. Like Dime right now is being launched into Zoomies and like the Buckle, which is a kind of a cool shop that's in a lot of malls. And Tilly's has picked us up and done some stuff with Kohl's. FabFitFun is a subscription box. So these are some accounts that Diff is not in. The only one that Diff is in is Tilly's. And so we're strategically separating them in that way so that we attract that different customer. Yeah, that's smart. I like that. Thank you. Well, very cool. Is there anything you want to add that I didn't ask or anything under the diff umbrella that we didn't touch on? Um, You know, you talked about the future. It's like we have our licenses that we do that's under the diff umbrella. So whether it's Star Wars or Marvel, you know, and, and also the collaborations that we do with people. Um, right now we're launching one with a mommy blogger. Her name is Laura Beverlin. We've been doing a lot of mommy bloggers mm-hmm. this, this year because I think they're very relevant. Um, we've done big collaborations with people in the past, like Khloe Kardashian and Demi Lovato and Justin Baldoni and all kinds of people that really are A-list celebrities and stuff like that. So that's right. that's what Diff is doing right now. And I think everything you asked is pretty spot on. I love the fact that it was focused more on the social impact. And I really loved all the questions and stuff. I, I think this has been a great conversation. I, I'm just so happy that you invited me on. And hopefully I see you again when I come back to Career Day. Um, and I believe that's how we were about to Yeah, start, so. it was. Yeah, I was just talking to Liz today about that. And the kids really loved it. Everybody that she brought in just wowed the kids, yeah. you know. 
and she still has some of the diff glasses and she gives them out during the super raffle, which is a big, huge thing that we do once a trimester. So three right. times a year. Right. And when kids pick those, she gives them the whole story behind diff. Oh, and yeah. she's like, these are very, very special, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is really cool. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I would be the first one to sign up to come back. So I, I think I told her that. And one of the things I'll tell you about the career day was when I was there, everybody like I had my buddy, he's a lawyer and he was like, I don't think it's going to be nearly as cool for them to listen to what I do as a lawyer than <laughs> listen to what you do at Diff. I was like, well, we'll see. And the kids were so into it. They were asking him all these questions. I was like, how would these kids know to ask these questions about law? Yeah. <laughs> but they were some of the most intelligent questions. And I was like, you were wrong. And he was like, I know. <laughs> he's like, everybody was super <laughs> into what I had to say. And I heard the rest of the same thing went for everybody that presented that day. Every, all the kids were super and then, yeah, when, when I left, I went back to the office. I had these glasses that I auctioned off there sitting in the office. I was like, hey, do you want to just come grab the rest of them? And then Liz came and <laughs> took them back. And I told her, I was like, just please let the kids go nuts. And I love being there. I want to come back. And that would be awesome. Those kids, they always blow me away when they come in the office. They are very smart, very inquisitive. They notice everything. And I think having somebody like you come in and talk to them and show them that here's a path that you could take if you so choose to that could not only be lucrative for you because, you know, face it, we all need money to live, but also in doing something, you can help others. And I think that that is just really inspiring. Um, I like to end by asking if there's one thing that you would want to share with the world, what would it be? Okay. Um, there, there, I, oh my gosh. Well, this, the chill. It's such a broad question. No, no, no. It's such a good <laughs> question. I was going to kind of piggyback off of the thing that you mentioned about the career day, right? Like what the message was that day. And I think what the message was for me was that number one is I was never a good student. I was never a great student, period. I, I struggled at ADHD. I was like diagnosed and all this stuff. And it was just hard for me. But, you know, doing what I did, like you said, was a way for me to show people that there are options out there for people that don't excel in school. And they can be like pretty great options, right? You don't have to be great and go and do things to become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. You can start something and you can make it very, very, very positive and very impactful. For sure. And I think that would be my message to the world. It's like, think like that, you know, think if you are going to go do something and it's not traditional, is there a way that you can spin it and creatively give back and, and not just put the money in your pocket? Because like you said, you need money to live. It's, it's important. You can't be charitable if you're not being profitable and all that stuff. So it goes hand in hand. But the other part mm -hmm. of the message is don't just say you're going to do it. I think the most important thing that I've learned is to do it. Meaning that if you say you want to be charitable or you say you want to give back, get in there, get your hands dirty and do the stuff that's scarier that you think someone's going to poke holes at or that you don't know if anyone's going to see and whatever your your voices in your head are telling you, like, it's going to be hard or whatever, and just do it. And you'll find yourself looking mm -hmm. back if you do actually start it and you get your hands dirty and try your best. You'll look back in like three, four, five years and go, wow, all the things that I've done and people I've helped. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that is a big message for me is think big, do it. And no matter what, being able to say that you tried and all that stuff is good, especially if there's a mission and it's mission-based and you're trying to give back. I think that's 
a positive message to anybody. Indeed. I hope this episode inspired you to volunteer and support communities that are in need, whether it's hands-on or by supporting sustainable brands like Diff. Every action of stewardship makes a difference and makes the world a better place. Check out the show notes for selected links and keep sending me your questions and comments. Please also take a moment to rate this episode because your rating really does help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So please be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Sil Annan, the Queen Trail. And until next time, I wish you passion, adventure, kindness, elegance, and beauty.